Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome once again to the Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and what else is streaming in theaters or what is streaming and also in theaters, I should say, and what's going on in the universe or the multiverse of entertainment, as it were. I'm Al John Go. I'm your co-host, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars fan, and also pop culturist. You can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. And Al John, uh, we've got a pretty fun show today. Uh, we're going to be talking True Life Adventure DVDs and Animal Kingdom Park. And we've got a fantastic guest. Yay. Yeah. Mr. Me. Mr. <laughs> me is here. I love it. Yay. I was going to say. There's your applause, Dave. Oh, I love it when the studio audience goes nuts. <laughs> exactly. No, that's great. I mean, uh, we've been we've been fielding our our questions, our email bag, if you will, and and uh, people are interested in in what's going on with the tr- Disney True Life Adventures and the part you had to play in in both that and telling the story in the park because you know you had a hand in some of that stuff too. So. Yeah, no, I, it was a lot of fun, and we're going to get into that and and talk a lot about uh, Roy Roy E. Disney and and how the the True Life Adventure DVD Legacy Collection came about and all of that. Absolutely, and before we talk about all of that stuff, we actually we actually have a comment, another awesome comment. Skull Rock Podcast answers your email. Claudia Rosani says, been catching up with old episodes and just finished this one. Great to learn about this book and all the yummy recipes. We're talking about our recipe book, Dave. That you're, yeah, from Kimberly Burchard. From Kimberly Burchard's book, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll have to dig it out. Um, all kinds of recipes. Your wish that U.S.-Canada border was more chill immediately made me think the same way for U.S.-Mexico border for the same reasons. <laughs> I guess she is flying the Mexican flag, so I'm assuming that she would want to go back and forth as well uh, for Excellent. Mexico. But, of course, I'm glad. We're both glad that you enjoyed the episode, Claudia. And uh, Kimberly Bouchard's book is, uh, is a great book. We've got it here at the house. Obviously, Dave and Nancy contributed to the book as well, so... Awesome. And I, and we have a copy in the kitchen. There you go. Uh, with all those great recipes. So uh, absolutely uh, check that out. Uh, and Claudia, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, don't forget everybody to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as uh, uh, give us that feedback and those reviews. Every single bit of that helps. Uh, and we love getting those listener emails. So absolutely. So before we get into that, once again, uh, we've been streaming stuff. I mean, I was going to just, uh, Al John, if mm-hmm. I could, I was just going to give a shout out to a few people oh. who, uh, who who commented on uh, our show last week. Oh, great. Uh, 
with um, uh, William uh, on Facebook said, great interview, although he looks like Huey Lewis in the picture that I posted of Rick Farmelo. <laughs> of Rick Farmelo. Uh, yeah, and, and so we, we got we got a whole bunch uh, of comments on, on the Rick Farmelo uh, interview from last week. Uh-huh. Um, a, you know, wonderful podcast uh, from Andrea, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic animation, uh, commenting on uh, um, uh, Rick's uh, work in the various Disney films. That's oh, from yeah. Heather. Yeah. Uh, Antonio, uh, that was a fun listen. Uh, so really, uh, it's wonderful to see people commenting uh, on social media, and mm-hmm. we appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, absolutely. Gene uh, had said, um, uh, one of our listeners, Gene Stumbaugh, it said, I grew up with Rick in Santa Rosa. He's a great guy. Introduced me to all the neighborhood kids to classic monster movies. Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, Boris Karloff. I could go on and on. He even made his own 8mm monster movies, which he wrote, directed, and produced. I think he was only 12 years old. A true gem. Wow. We, we should try and get a hold of those and hold them against him. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was amazing. Um, yeah, I love the comments. So please keep them coming. You know, I had to uh, when I create the thumbnails, Dave. I had to make sure that I got the same uh, color as his rose tinted glasses that he loves to wear. So I, I think it's awesome. It really is. <laughs> hey, we have it's another. Always, it's it's nice hearing from everybody. Absolutely, we have another comment too. Also, Bill Mitchell had said I was lo- looking forward to this show, uh, which is the Destino show we did two weeks ago. But I blame Al John since he mentioned the social dilemma on Netflix. So I listened to, uh, to it instead, mind blown. <laughs> uh, sorry, Bill to, uh, ruin, ruin that part. Um, I can't help it. Uh, the social dilemma is a really disturbing <laughs> documentary on Netflix. And, uh, that's what we do. We watch films so that you don't have to, uh, but you took our advice and watched it anyway. So I can't help you there. Uh, you're feeding the algorithm, as it were. Uh, so, so thank you for that feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to to leave us those uh, those messages on Facebook too. That is a really cool way for you to interact with Dave and myself. So, having said that, Dave, we've got this. Uh, you know, we've been streaming. We we watch movies all the time. You're in movies, uh, movie theaters as well. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a busy week for you, though. It has been, you know, uh, it was uh, Nancy and I went out to Ventura out, uh, spent about five days out at the beach. Mm. Uh, I actually have a little bit of a tan, if you can see that. Yeah, you're not, not, you as, not as, not as, uh, not as rosy I'm, as Rick Farmelo's glasses. i as uh, I usually am. <laughs> you, looks like you got some sun, Dave. Uh, you know. I did get some sun. It was wonderful. We, yeah. had, a, we had a really nice time. Yeah. Actually, you know, uh, while I was out there, um, uh, the place we were staying at uh, uh, had some on demand. So I wound up uh, uh, binge watching uh, A Million Little Things, which is an ABC show. Um, It's an ensemble cast. uh, uh, And uh, I binge watched most of this most recent season. Oh, yeah, nice. it was it was enjoyable. The other thing that I watched, and I'm not completely done with it, is uh, a show called The Tourist, which mm. is essentially a man wakes up in the Australian outback with no recollection of who he is, and he must try to piece together his memory as merciless figures from his past pursue him. Um, this stars uh, Jamie. Dorman, 
uh, who is the um, uh, the man who wakes up with uh, with no memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's got a really good cast of people uh, in it, uh, including Damon Harriman, who mm-hmm. many uh, people might remember from uh, uh, Justified, uh, yes. the series uh, yes. Justified. Okay. Uh, he, he had a, a, a great character uh, in that uh, particular series. Uh, but Damon Harriman plays a detective in this uh, particular show. But you can check that out on Facebook. It's called The Tourist. Uh, and I'm almost done with it. Um, and then last weekend, I went and saw The Batman <laughs> in IMAX. Oh, I heard good things. You know, I have to tell you, I really liked this film. Yeah. And, you know, it clocked in at two hours and 56 minutes. So over three hours when you factor in all of the trailers they played at the beginning. Oh, my. So I was in the IMAX seat for three, over three hours watching this film. Mm. And I got to tell you, when the movie ended out, John, it did not feel like three hours to me. That sign of good pacing, is it not? It, it, it's it's a very good sign. I I, I call it uh, the ass meter, you know, <laughs> uh, because my 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 ass doesn't get numb, uh, and I have to tell you, um, oh. it was it was really a good film. Uh, it's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, it's brooding, mm-hmm. uh, and boy, it rains a lot in Gotham City. Oh. I have to tell you, it rains well, a lot in Gotham City. Did you know? So. You know, I am a big. Well, I, I have to say this. Did you know? You know, the movie Seven is one of my favorite movies, right? For many different reasons. Obviously, Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt—they're absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah. And Kevin Spacey, but I will, I will say that Seven was supposedly set in a Gotham City type of uh, setting and uh-huh. that it, the rain uh, that constantly fell uh, during the production of that movie is, is definitely harkens to that Gotham City vibe. So funny you say that it rained a lot uh-huh. in Gotham. That's the kind of same vibe that you get when you watch the movie Seven, inspired by Batman. So Yeah, no, and I have to tell you, I mean, it, it certainly adds a level of texture to the movie. Sure. Uh, and, and to to the atmosphere uh, of a lot of the, the film outside. Uh, look, I enjoyed the Batman. Uh, Robert Patton uh, really uh, great. Um, uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just overall, I thought it was a very, very good movie. Uh, good. Very enjoyable. I liked it. Awesome. Good, good to hear. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Hopefully I'll have a chance to see it this weekend. Yeah. Um, that's my goal to go see good. it. I um, hope you do. Well, Chris and I are both Batman fans. So the next thing for me um, is tackling Star Trek Picard because I have been looking forward. You know how how much of a diehard Trek fan I am. Sure. And uh, saw season one. There were some ups and downs, a lot more ups than downs. But this season, kicking into high gear, bringing back, I would say the antagonist for um, Jean Luc Picard, Patrick Sir Patrick Stewart's uh, foil, if you will, and John Delancey who plays Q. Uh, there's something amiss in the universe. There's uh, I don't know if you remember Dave. Um, 
I don't know how much of a Star Trek fan you are, but you know when oh. Captain Kirk goes back and and goes into this alternate reality of the mirror universe where everyone is evil, and instead of uh, Starfleet being a very yeah. peacekeeping organization to explore new worlds, they conquer mm-hmm. with the knife, and they go in and they they do this whole thing. Well, apparently they go into this universe of the mirror universe with an evil Picard who rules with with an iron fist, and uh, mm. it's very interesting to see because they never really tackled that in the next generation they used it right. you know, that uh, in other shows but it, it's great to see it's good to see Whoopi Goldberg re, you know uh, reviving her role as Guinan the the trusted friend of Captain Picard so a lot of great uh, good vibes from my childhood there and, and good storytelling and, and that's on Paramount Plus it right? is on Paramount Plus yeah. um, so that is on there and of course uh, I'm catching up now um, I've streamed the first part of uh, you know caught up to The Walking Dead as well um, and of course it's great. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, you know, Negan, the character, he was, he's such a great actor, uh, liked him, uh, in, um, uh, uh so many different roles. I, I would, I would say he was great in the Watchmen because that's, that's one of the first yeah. roles I remember him in. So he's great. So looking forward to seeing the rest of those series as well. You know, by the way, they're they're doing a fifth spinoff of Walking Dead. Yep. Uh, I saw a little blurb in the trades about Isle of the Dead. Yep, they're doing Isle of the Dead, and then they uh, and speaking of Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he and um, Lauren Cohen is are doing a spinoff series of who plays Maggie Lauren Cohen. Uh, they also played Batman's parents in the uh, prior Batman film, uh, the Bruce Wayne and, and uh, Martha Wayne who got shot. The two of them were actually Bruce Wayne's parents in the previous Batman movie. Right. So it's funny right. that the both of them of course work on walking dead together, another comic book franchise, and they're going to go off and do their spinoff series as well. So a lot of great stuff uh, going on for that. Uh, a big fans of both of those actors, but um I guess we've got a few tidbits in our news for this week. So let's get into it, shall we? Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. You know, Disney Plus attracting so many new viewers with uh, what will be their new price tier. I had supported Price here. I think we mentioned it briefly. Um, they've got a brand new series for the Muppets. I'll just briefly talk about that. The new series, Muppets Mayhem, is going to be streaming mm-hmm. on Disney Plus coming soon. Um, we've got uh, the brand new Pinocchio film. Uh, they just released a brand new image of with Tom Hanks as Geppetto. That looks as really Geppetto, good. Yeah. That looks really good. But the world was really set on fire. I'll just lead with this. Uh, I know that I was going to lead with a different story, but since I, I'm already talking about Disney Plus, we'll lead with a little bit of, you see, the, the music of John Williams. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? I the love it. done And I love, I love this trailer. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Millions upon millions of views of this trailer breaking the internet record at StarWars.com and on YouTube. The return of Ewan McGregor as a follow-up to Star Wars Revenge of the Sith Alongside Hayden Christensen coming back, reprising his role as Anakin slash Darth Vader. And this is going to be amazing, Dave. 
You know, I saw the trailer for this. It looks fantastic. Uh, it looks very, very engaging, and I, I can't wait to watch it. Absolutely. Be sure to check that out. As it hits Disney Plus May 25th, it is the same day that Star Wars A New Hope opened in 1977, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Wow. Crazy, right? Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. Um, speaking of Disney, of course, um, this is more. You know, contra- yeah. Did you want to? No, Al, John, I was going to say we need to get a sound effect of somebody stepping in a hot mess. A real <laughs> like a squishy sound effect, I think, when we have stories like this. Go ahead. You, can, you, you tell us this one. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. That's as close as I got, man. That's a Hanna-Barbera library. I just pulled <laughs> Oh uh, no, we we need like a oh, or a have a have squishy mess. Oh, okay, that, well, <laughs> this is all I got. That's all I got. That's all. Okay, I got. that's good. Okay, <laughs> um, and, and I guess the PR uh, dumpster fire continues. Uh, Disney to pause Florida political donations as CEO tells staff, "I'm sorry" over the "Don't Say Gay" bill uh, response, and that was from Bob Chapek. You know, it. it this is not a good look. Um, it's just not a good look. Please prepare something, PR Disney. Um, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> I mean, this is just a hot mess the way this is unfolded. <laughs> I mean, every day it just seems to get worse. It's like somebody walking by and throwing gasoline into the dumpster mm-hmm. and just letting it flare up even more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, it's it, it, it's really shocking to me that, that the company uh, actually... Uh, has you know so fumbled this uh, um, uh, the, this story? I mean, it's just the, this this whole uh, issue. And, and frankly, I mean, honestly, I think a company like Disney shouldn't be involved in politics. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have they have such a broad and diverse audience that loves what Disney stands for because you use it as an escape from the world that we live in, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and in a sense, why would you get involved in all of this stuff? I just feel like they shouldn't. There is a lot of different paths you can take for sure. And I think part of that is crafting great messaging. And even though I, I pat uh, Bob Chapek on the back for, you know, admitting fault, the fact that he's saying, I'm sorry, I still feel that uh, there's a lot more that can be done. Hey, look, uh, no one's perfect, but every, and everyone is flawed. We, that is the human condition. So yeah. let's just let's just try to be better. That's all. You know, but the, these are topics where uh, there's a no win here. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know there there's there's a big segment of the Disney uh, you know audience that uh, support supports this uh, bill. There's a big segment of the Disney uh, audience that doesn't support this mm-hmm. bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you're you're just stepping into something that where it's really a no win. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, that's all I can say about it. Mm-hmm. it it's just, you know, it's, it, it's kind of distracting and, and it takes away from all the good things that this company does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we applaud those efforts as well and have celebrated them here on this show. So yeah, let's not forget that. Let's uh, move on to Netflix uh, along with Disney plus and their, their, 
once again, you know, making it more accessible to people and price points and being sensitive to those. My daughter is screaming like a bitch in the background. I, you know, I can hear her in the background. I was just about to say, what listening. is going on at your she, house? She is going nuts. I don't know what's going on there. Um, Netflix. Uh, can, maybe she's screaming about Netflix prices going up. <laughs> and it's happening immediately. Uh, I would scream about that too. You know, we, we need every dollar in this house with those two uh, rugrats. But UK customers, months after pricing went up in December, of course, it's going up worldwide here in March uh, for the most part. But there you go. Costs <laughs> of content are going up by at least a dollar or two. Um, that's just what's going to happen, right? To be expected. Yes, I I completely agree with you. And you know, uh, Al John, uh, the streaming services right now it's an arms race. They are all clamoring to get content onto their platforms, and they have to spend ridiculous amounts of money to do it. And you know, all of the services are going to be raising their prices. You know, Disney's already raised their prices, and they've introduced a. Um, uh, a commercial platform uh, uh, that's at a lower price point. Um, I, I just think that you're going to see more and more of this. You're going to see an annual price increase happen across the board at all of these uh, streaming services because they have to because of the amount of money they're spending on content. 100%. You know, but if you, once again, just like anything else, if you find value in, in the service, then complete, uh, complete, uh, you know, support it. And that's what we continue yeah. to do. And I continue to support Disney and put my money in there because Lord knows I, I, I use a Mickey Mouse clubhouse on a daily basis. Um, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> there you have it. And in not so good news, um, one of my childhood heroes, uh, had recently passed. So let's listen. Emilio Delgado, best known as Luis, the handyman on Sesame Street, landed the role back in 1971, two years after the show premiered. I was so excited, but as an actor, I knew that it was a job, you know, maybe it'll last a year, maybe two years, maybe not even that long, you know, but it was great. I had a job on television. Little did he know he'd be a Sesame Street fixture for 44 years. Delgado was born in Calexico, California, but was raised by his grandparents on the other side of the border in Mexicali. Just uh, amazing talent. Uh, Emilio Delgado passes away at the age of 81. You know, in a sense, he was one of the faces of Sesame Street. Yes. Uh, he had been on for so long. Uh, you know, it, when you see a picture of him, you you immediately associate him with Sesame Street. 100%. I mean, that's 44, 44 plus years he spent on Sesame Street educating children like myself. Uh, it is very sad because I, I you almost feel like these people... As you grow up, they're part of your family. You grow such a, a great connection to them and the different characters um, that you see on television. And Sesame Street is no different. You know, when Fred Rogers passed away, I took it very hard. Mm -hmm. And um, same here. You know, and he just was just such a beacon of light and love for the world. And I feel the same way about Emilio. And he will certainly be missed. However, um, he's not the only one that had passed away recently, Dave. Um, you know, you sent me this note as well. You know, we had another beloved actor pass away this week um and you probably are more of a fan or know the work 
better than I do. So I'll let you take that. Well, you know something, this is Conrad uh, Janis. And uh, he is one of those character actors that when you see his face, you go, oh, I remember him. He's been in so much stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the headline was that he was a trombonist and a Mork and Mindy actor. uh, And he was 94 when he passed away uh, this past week. But, uh, you know, he was not only just on uh, Mork and Mindy, uh, he played a neighbor in the same condo building as uh, Kelsey Grammer in uh, uh, Frasier, right. uh, the, the series Frasier. Uh, he was in Get Smart. Uh, he was in so many different things that, you know, you he's one of those character actors that uh, people would recognize but wouldn't know his name. Yeah, you know? exactly right. I think that, you know, when you're on TV and you, you're, you're like that, uh, and you have that uh, character actor uh, thing going on that Conrad did. You you will definitely recognize him. Ninety four years old, Dave. What an, an yeah, amazing and, and you know, really just an incredible um, uh, canon of of films. Uh, you know, he was in The Untouchables, My Favorite Martian. He was in films like Airport seventy five, The Happy Hooker, uh, The Duchess, and Dirtwater Fox, uh, The Buddy Holly Story, Oh God, Book Two, Brewster's Millions, Sunny Boy, Mister Saturday Night. The cable guy, so um, you know, he was, you know, in in uh, bad blood. Uh, he was in just so many different things on television and in film. Uh, just a very recognizable guy. And what a, what a body of work he leaves behind. And you know what? Ninety four. What a great life. Absolutely. So Conrad. Emilio, rest in peace. You're, yes. you're you will be missed. You uh, and your fans will be able to at least uh, enjoy the work that you've done for many, many more years to come. Rest in peace. Skull Rock Podcast interview time. Dave, once again, there you are, and we are here with a a interview segment. You and I talking about the True Life Adventure DVD collection and Animal Kingdom. So, yeah. And, you know, I was so glad that one of our listeners uh, wrote in and suggested that we discuss this because it was just a flood of memories that came back uh, for me on, uh, you know, shooting all the intros with Roy E. Disney uh, down at the Animal Kingdom Park in Florida and also watching all of those true life adventures again and being involved in some of the restoration work and you know, and, and all the just great stories of, of going down to the Animal Kingdom Park. So let's first talk then about the the how this project came about, because I remember the DVD collections were really huge um, uh, back in the day. And yes. I collected a lot of those collectible tins with all that great content in there. Um, when were you, were you approached, uh, when, when the collection and these masterpieces were kind of being put together, like this is, this is how this came about and this is how we want you to participate. How did that kind of come together? Well, you know, it's an interesting story because this goes back to, uh, when Roy, uh, Roy E. Disney was having his fallout with Michael Eisner. I think most people who are into Disney remember that period, uh, and Roy, uh, resigned from uh, the uh, board of directors uh, and started the Save Disney campaign. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, 
ultimately what wound up happening was Michael Eisner left the company uh, and uh, Bob Iger became the chairman and CEO of Disney. And one of the first things that Bob did was to patch things up with Roy. Uh, And Roy came back to the company uh, and uh, I got a phone call one day in my office and it was, you know, Roy's gravelly voice. Hey, Dave, how you doing? You know, and uh, he uh, uh, he he said uh, he wanted to get the True Life Adventures out on DVD. And uh, you know, and anytime Roy called me and said he wanted to do something, I was like, okay, let's do it. Of course. You know? And, uh, and so obviously home entertainment, uh, was a big part of, uh, putting all that together. Uh, but we, uh, wanted to have Roy, uh, you know, we wanted to shoot some new footage of Roy introducing these films, uh, on the head of these DVDs. And it was four, uh, legacy tins each with two DVDs in them. So it was right. a total of eight DVDs. Right, right. And that included all the all the cleaned up films and things that you did to restore that, right? Yeah, and, and the it, bonus features yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But but you know, uh the the real thing the real big thing was going to be uh filming Roy and it was such a natural thing to say, you know, let's go to the animal kingdom and shoot in different locations at the animal kingdom that, you know, sort of show us different parts of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, to have the DVDs tie into the animal kingdom park. I mean, that's like total synergy for the company, right? 100%. Absolutely. And and so it was kind of interesting because I, I, got a, uh, you know, a call. I actually, I, I went to a meeting and it was basically, they, they didn't have the budget to take everybody down and film in Orlando at the oh. animal kingdom. Okay. Right. So, so these DVDs, you got to remember, um, you know, the, uh, they, they usually, you know, had a certain budget, uh, for doing extra stuff for these DVD releases, but as DVD sales started to decline, so did those budgets start to decline, you know? Right. And, uh, they just felt like they didn't have the budget to go down to the animal kingdom. And so we started to look at locations in Southern California. Like we could go down to the beach. We could go out to the desert. We could go up into the mountains. We could go to a forest, you know, Mm -hmm. and we could shoot all of these intros that way. But honestly, I have to tell you, it just didn't feel good. And I was the guy that had to call Roy up and tell Roy that we didn't have the budget to go down to Orlando, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I did, and, and naturally he was disappointed, but he also understood, you know, he understood the budget issues. And, uh, so we, I finished that call with him and literally the next morning I get a call, hello, Dave, you know, and it's Roy again. And he goes, I was just thinking, and he says, what if I flew everybody down to Orlando 
on my on my plane. This is this is kind of like this is like your buddy saying, "Hey, I've got the I've got a you know a a, a seventy five uh, Pontiac uh, station wagon. I'm going to come and pick everybody up and take you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, he had a seven thirty seven, and yeah. he basically said, "If I flew everybody down, would that?" you know, allow us to, to do this. Cause he knew, he knew, and we all knew in our hearts that, you know, filming those introductions for the DVD at the animal kingdom park in Florida was the absolute right thing to do. Yes. You know? Isn't it funny so, though, how those things work out though, because you, you post him with this issue and there's disappointment and yet, you know, here he is, you know, an executive level. I want to make this happen and finds a way to try to make it work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I said that would be fantastic. Let me go pose that to the powers that be at home entertainment, which I did. And, and it was funny because they came back and like, like Walt Disney world was going to cover the hotel rooms. Roy would fly us down there, but there was still the question of uh, like, I I think, I think uh, the Florida park was going to cover only Roy's meals. And we'd, we'd have to fend for ourselves. So uh, I went back to Roy and said, look, I said, if you're willing to fly us down there, they're going to cover the hotel rooms, but they'll only cover your meals. So can you pick up meals for all of us? You know, meaning that they were paying for his meal his meal ticket. Mm-hmm. So we would just all pile onto his meal ticket. And, and so the park picked up our meals as oh, well. Of course. And he burst out laughing. He said, absolutely. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that, and that's how that all came together. You know, I, once again, love finds a way <laughs> to make these things yeah. happen. And, uh, and, uh, you know. and, and it, it was fun. And, you know, we were all kind of scattered about into different uh, hotels because as I recall, it was a fairly busy time of the year, you know? So it was like, some of us were at one re- resort and some were at another. So we kind of split up a little bit, which was perfectly fine. And, um, and, and then we filmed, uh, you know, at various locations while the park was open. Mm. And, you know, it was, there were some outcroppings where, you know, uh, we were able to go where guests weren't allowed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, uh, and so there was one particular one that I remember really well because there was like ruins of like a Cambodian temple or something, uh, and, uh, looking one way and looking another way, it was more jungle and, you know, tropical. Mm-hmm. And so we actually wound up doing two different introductions at that location just by turning the camera. Interesting. You know, turn, turning the setup around. I've got I've got a little clip here. I don't think this is the clip that you're referencing, but here's a little bit of Roy. Yeah. The animals were always better than we ever thought they could have been because they were great actors. Oh, there was a little bit of Roy talking about how the animals being the stars of these things were great actors. And I am sure you, you know, there's so much of that footage there. And I think they really set the bar for what nature documentaries are today. Well, you know something though, I, I, I think that they really were the foundation for the 
Jacques Cousteau's and the, uh, and the, you know, a mutual of Omaha type of, uh, uh, nature films that came along afterwards, but you got to realize, you know, seal Island, that was 1948. That yeah. was the first, uh, of the true life adventure films. Yes. And won tons of Academy awards to boot. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, uh, seal Island was, was really, uh, you know, Alfred and Alma Malat. <clears throat> They were out shooting all this documentary footage of wildlife and culture in Alaska. And, um, you know, um, it was one of those things where it was it was taking the tons and tons of footage and distilling it down to a storyline that you could tell with those visuals. You know, yeah, and, and the narration of, you know, Winston Hibbler narrating it and it you know, was directed by James Algar and, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I, I love that a lot. I think it's uh, once again, it's I, I remember picking up these, you know, uh, I, I've told this story mm-hmm. on the show before um, that my dad would go to the public library and get eight millimeter films to show us. And these always had popped up. Um, you know, just from him going there. And of course, if that's how you fall in love with these things. Um, take a listen at some of this from Seal Island. The prize continues and competition increases. <laughs> of course, there's always one who just can't make up her mind. I love, I just love that. The the stories that you put with these different animals is so much fun. Yeah, um, no, I, I think, it, 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 you know, these films are terrific, but you got to realize, you know, they wound up shooting, the Malats shot something like 100,000 feet of film mm-hmm. and spent over a year filming all those seals for Seal Island. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's a tremendous amount of footage and you're using less Less than ten percent of it for a feature film. Oh, absolutely! I remember I interviewed Alistair Fothergill um, years ago for for my old Source of Radio show, and he did bears um, for Disney Nature and a, a bunch of other things. And the amount of footage he captured is is incredible. How much documentary filmmakers roll, and you know how they're able to string that stuff together. I couldn't imagine going through all that trying to edit and put together a narrative for all this stuff that just happens naturally. Um, yeah, no. And, and, you know, again, this was a, a huge uh, amount of editing uh, that had to happen. And, uh, and by the way, um, Roy Disney, Roy E. Disney uh, was an assistant editor on some of these early uh, true life adventure films. And I had many, many conversations with Roy over the years uh, about uh, him working on those. And he was an assistant editor to Norman Stormy Palmer. Mm. Uh, And I heard a lot about Stormy Palmer, uh, you know, who worked on The Living Desert, Incredible Journey and other things things uh but you know he he worked on grand canyon uh and uh it's you know uh he really cut his uh his chops uh with a seasoned film editor that's awesome i it's funny because you know you, you don't necessarily think of roy as being you know down and dirty you know editing film but that's exactly what he did you know yeah. kind of learning the family business as it were you know and doing that um, so going through this footage, this archival footage 
um, when you're restoring something like this, were the actual prints still in really good shape uh, when you're restoring this for the DVDs or how much work did you have to put into to that? You, you know, uh, on all of the films, I, you know, again, I, I've said this before, Al John, on our show, um, the Walt Disney Studios has done a fantastic job with preserving their library, you know? So all of these uh, films, the all of these uh, negatives from the True Life Advent- Adventures were all digitally scanned, were all cleaned up digitally uh, and uh, just presented, I think, in in just a a beautiful way. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, some of these films, I wish they would screen in the theaters uh, occasionally. You know, I mean, you can take, I think you could take some of the um, shorter True Life adventures and, uh, you know, like, you know, Seal Island is 27 minutes. You could Mm -hmm. probably put two or three of these um, uh, true life adventure films together and screen them at the Academy or screen them, uh, you know, do a limited engagement at uh, theaters around the country. Yeah. I think that'd be a lot of fun if they were able to do that. You know, there's so much footage in there. How about, and you talked a little bit about shooting the intros with Roy and going in the park. Um, Can you share a story uh, and we've shared a few during this uh, in the time that we've been doing the show together about Roy and your interactions with Roy. You talked about going behind the scenes of, you know, these animals getting treated over at Animal Kingdom. Are there any other stories maybe that uh, that you can point out to our listeners about your interactions with Roy and 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 how much fun it was to be around? Because it seems like you guys had a blast. Oh, I mean, look, anytime we went down to Orlando, if I was with him, we always had time to go over to the animal kingdom always, you know, and, and and being able to go to the animal kingdom with the guy that has his last name on, you know, all the buses and the front door of all the parks, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, it was fantastic. I, I mean, I felt so lucky because, you know, I got to be in at the animal kingdom, you know, I, I have to say Disney does a superb job of taking care of these animals, mm-hmm. an absolutely superb job. Uh, they've got top notch veterinarian staff uh, and, and personnel down there whose sole purpose is to maintain, uh, you know, the animals in good health and, and make sure they're taken care of. You know, and, um, you know, to be able to go down to uh, the veterinary building and see uh, a cheetah getting its annual exam uh, or a silverback gorilla having a tooth extracted. Yeah. um, You know, I mean, these are experiences that few, if any, ever get. And I, I just felt so incredibly lucky to be able to to be in that room with Roy to see some of this stuff, you know? And, and one of the other things I, I, I always want to mention, and, and I've, I've, I've had these conversations with people who ask me about the animal kingdom or, or, you know, the, the travels with Roy is the work that the animal kingdom has done over the years. And, and now I, 
I got to tell you, there there is a kingfisher, an Indonesian kingfisher that mm-hmm. was on the verge of extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I won't go into all the details. It had to do with Guam and some uh, tree snakes uh, eating eggs of these birds and the population diminishing to the point where it was near extinction. Like there was like maybe a dozen birds left of this particular kingfisher sp- uh, species. And they did a whole breeding program down at the animal kingdom in the Avery area uh, behind the scenes, working with uh, a group in Guam and uh, some other folks uh, involved with sort of uh, rebuilding this uh, kingfisher uh, species. Wow. Uh, and, and they brought them back literally from, from the brink of extinction. And, and I, I just have to say, you know, what other places do those kinds of things? I mean, there's certainly other facilities, but a company like Disney being able to do that down at the animal kingdom. I just think it's fantastic. I really do. I mean, it's just, it's something that they don't have to do and it's not something that's really accessible to the guests. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had a friend that was a, um, for lack of a better word, a, a, a keeper, right? She, she worked there and she was a, a vet and we were able to go backstage for just a brief moment and see uh-huh. the facility and how they take care of the animals that you don't see on stage, if you will. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And we love animals. We, you know, we we love rescue animals, dogs, cats, what have you. But just to see how Disney takes so much care, as you said, of these animals is truly heartwarming and their efforts to conserve and to protect and to uh, make sure these extinct species uh, people just don't know enough about. I know that we give uh, every, every time we go to the park, we always give to the fund and and do things like that because that's what we, we love to do. But um, it's really cool how that effort is continuing on, you know, um, Walt and Roy's legacy of helping animals and conserving the environment. No. no, absolutely, without question. And you know, Roy, Roy E was was a huge supporter of you know the Paragon Paragon Falcon Fund. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he um, adored the Animal Kingdom. The Animal Kingdom wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Roy convinced uh, Michael uh, during uh, a better times in their relationship uh, <laughs> that that Disney should build the Animal Kingdom Park down in Orlando. Uh, and I I find it one of the most spectacular parks. I I just love the way it's designed, the way it's laid out. Um, And, and, you know, honestly, you have to if you and you've been down there with Kristen, Mm -hmm. you you know, going on that uh, uh, the the bus into the Serengeti. Oh, of course. The Kilimanjaro Uh, Safari is the best. Yeah. The the Kilimanjaro tour. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? I love it. You know, everything from the Maharaja Jungle Trek to the, uh, you know, to the. Oh, uh, you, you the said Yeti roller the Yeti Yeti, of course. I mean, how can you not forget about the Yeti, right? I mean, there's so much. And of course, Joe Rohde's fingerprints, a lot of this yeah. stuff. But Roy E's definitely in a lot of this uh-huh. stuff. And of course, you, you've you played an integral role in a lot of the different entertainment stuff uh, at the Disney parks as well. So when you go through, it's nice to see some of your work being laid out there. 
Well, you know, I, I've, I've very, very little for me, uh, <laughs> honestly, but uh, I have to say uh, there there's just uh, well, first off tip, if you've never done the Kilimanjaro uh, uh, bus tour yeah. uh, and, you know, if you've never done that. It's like when get to the animal kingdom, when they just open and race to the back of the park yes. to get online for that. Cause you have to do that early in the morning. Yeah. Because, because that's when the lions it, are out. It, yeah. If you do it late in the afternoon or mid afternoon, all the animals are like in the bushes, you know, to having a siesta. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. You know? <laughs> so. That, that is, that is a tip and trick. Um, did, did Roy have a particular favorite uh, park food when, when he went, was he a big turkey leg? guy did he go around with a dole rip i mean what was what was his what was his go to i can see what i can see uh, i can see roy e uh, do it digging the churro it, it was it was always it was always interesting to walk into the park with him because um, you know he'd have to put, have the sunglasses on and a baseball cap, mm-hmm. you know, so that uh, you know he wouldn't get recognized because he was easily recognizable, mm-hmm. obviously, you know. Uh, and uh, but I honestly I I don't think we've ever gotten any kind of like snacky thing in <laughs> any of the parks that I was with him uh, on those trips because. Just because we're a lot of times behind the scenes. In fact, you know, uh, oftentimes when we went to the Animal Kingdom, we would get a small van that would drive us into that Kilimanjaro tour. Uh, so we we kind of had this like little van with a staffer, you know, taking us on the same route that the the big buses go on with, you know, the ride vehicles with, uh-huh. you know, I don't know how many 50 or 70 passengers, <laughs> you know, but but we, we were always in like a small kind of little uh, little van uh for for our own personal tour which was always a lot of fun obviously when, when you're big wheeling with a with a gentleman next to you by the name of disney you take plaids yeah. and big vans wherever you go uh, that's what it is yeah. you, you get the full service but, you know we 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 did we we have taken the monorail mm-hmm. uh i was with roy where we decided to take the monorail from uh the contemporary we had dinner mm. at the grand uh, it was the california grill at the top of the contemporary yes uh, we actually went down to the monorail uh, platform and we took the monorail back to the Floridian where mm-hmm. we were staying. Mm-hmm. And it was the funniest thing because we waited online with everybody. Yeah. And, and no one bothered you because he was incognito. No, he wasn't really at that point because it was evening and <laughs> oh, okay. it was like we just got online and there was a few people that kind of noticed who he was, but not everybody because people were kind of like, eh, why would he be waiting online? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't he just jump the queue? And no, we, we got online, we waited our turn and we got on the monorail. And I remember getting into the monorail with him and there were some people on the platform and they all of a sudden just realized who he was. You could just to see the the, the mouths hang open like oh, oh my gosh you oh, know I would Disney I would I would one hundred percent and I would you know even if I saw Dave Bossard on the street I'd be like it's Dave Bossard oh stop it stop uh, that crap I, I want you I want you to tell our, our our audience who don't necessarily have this uh this set or you know right now not all of this content is available on Disney Plus unfortunately some of it is right. but not all of it um, can you tell us who Winston Hibbler is? 
So Winston Hibbler uh, is is a Disney legend. I mean, he's been uh, all over the place uh, at, at the company. In fact, uh, I have to tell you, and I'm, I'm having trouble with my computer at the moment. Oh, there we go. Uh, he uh, actually uh, was uh, uh, a screenwriter, a film producer, a director, a narrator at the Disney Studios. Yes. And uh, he was the first of three generations of Hibblers that worked at the company. Isn't that amazing? Because Winston's son, I believe it was Michael Hibbler, uh, uh, he uh, became a, a live action director, worked at Disney for quite a number of years. Amazing. And then uh, his, uh, his grandson uh, actually worked at uh, Disney uh, Feature Animation. Yes. Uh, as he was like an, a head of operations or director of operations at, at Disney animation. Right. So, you know, you have all this, this history and, uh, you know, he, uh, he worked, um, uh, he just worked on a tremendous amount of, uh, of live action, uh, at the studio was a screenwriter, as I mentioned, story guy, story uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he was basically a story guy yeah. and, uh, uh, just, uh, an amazing, uh, uh, Disney legend, if you will. You know, it's interesting, you know, uh, you did in, in, and I mentioned this because you did a bunch of these bonus features and he came, came up in that. And a lot of people don't realize not only Disney legend, uh, recognizes a legend in 1992 posthumously, um, but he had those voiceover roles in that true life adventures. And it's just one of those voices that, you know, you just identify with the show. And yeah, so he's just, he's great. But of course he also had, he was doing, you know, pulling double and triple duty as a story guy uh, yeah. as well during that entire time. But uh, I think it's really, really cool that. Uh, but, but you know, little... it's typical. And, and James Algar uh, was, was, you know, an animator, you know, he's, he's got a credit on uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And then he becomes a director on Fantasia and Bambi victory through air power. And then he becomes the director for, for Seal Island. Uh, and, you know, so James Algar was a writer, producer, director, you know, on uh, a tremendous amount of material. When you're doing this, uh, I guess you're repackaging this for DVD uh, and you're, you're doing the raps, uh, you know, the intros with, with Roy E and you're, you're doing all these behind the scenes features and things. How long does it usually take timeline wise as a filmmaker yourself, Dave, it, putting this stuff together, um, and, and compiling it, were you under a deadline? Like this is, this needs to happen here and you're kind of pushed. Yeah, and you, you know, I mean, they, they, they set a release date for these things, you know, so you're working up against the release date mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I can't even recall what the lead time was. Like we had to have stuff finished. I don't know how long before the actual DVDs came out. Cause you got to remember, you know, once, once you, have shot all this stuff and edited and done all your scoring and all the things that have to happen to it. Uh, those get baked onto those DVDs. So they have to author the DVD. So, you know, this, this uh, opening goes with this disc that has seal Island, this, that, and the other thing on it. Right. And, and then once they've done all of that, then they have to press all those discs and package everything. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? Well, if you get a chance, folks, um, you know, please feel free to to check out some of the shorts uh, that I know that were extracted for this uh, collection on Disney Plus. But I know that um, you know Seal Island, as far as I know, is still not on there. But I know if you do some digging, you'll be able to find it. And um, you know, I, I just have to also go back and and talk more about uh, Animal Kingdom. And, and Roy, as we, you know, we continue down this path, you know, you're telling so many stories about Roy and Animal Kingdom. Um, what else was he really fond of in terms of being at the park? I mean, you talked about, you know, the layout and everything. How much, how much of his fingerprints are on, like, this is how the park should, should be? Or did he leave that mostly to Imagineers? How hands-on was he in, in creating that? You know, he was always a hands-on guy, but I think, you know, uh, you got to realize he, he was incredibly respectful of, uh, of the artists and Imagineers and all the people involved. And, you know, he would come into high level meetings and, and give high level comments, Mm. you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, picking out wallpaper, uh, for a resort room or anything like that. You know, <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned he, that he because wasn't doing anything like that, which uh, unfortunately Michael started doing towards the end of his reign. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I remember that specifically in, in reading that. And I just laughed and I said, boy, that's, that's micromanaging. Uh, if I've never heard it yeah. before, but that, no, that but, is- you know, I think, I think, you know, Roy, Roy, a lot of people, I think underestimated Roy. Roy, uh, Roy was a very, very uh, bright guy uh, and uh, very, very thoughtful uh, in his comments, you know. When you look back at the the collection of true life adventures and in and, and the legacy of, of those films and, and its impact on pop culture and education um, that, that can't be fully... I guess described because I mean it has so much to do with how people view nature documentaries, uh, how people are inspired to to pick up and help animals and to to rescue and care for animals. What do you think that legacy is, is uh, for the True Life Adventures in, in those films? Well, you know, again, what I said at the beginning of our conversation is really that these were the, the this was the foundation for all the documentarians that that followed that made nature films. You know, because you had you know the first seven um, uh, the first seven True Life Adventures, which would be Seal Island uh, in Beaver Valley or Beaver Valley, uh, Nature's Half Acre, the uh, Olympic Elk, Water Birds, Bear Country, and Prowl of the Everglades, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these were like, you know, uh, half hour uh, nature films, you know, Mm -hmm. so you could, you could go to a movie theater in the late forties and early fifties and see one of these as a featurette uh, before you saw a feature film, you know, and, uh, and, and then they went on to do like the living desert, vanishing prairie, the African lion, uh, secrets of life, uh, white wilderness and jungle cat. Those were all features. And 
out of those features, they went, and, and this is the brilliance of Walt. Uh, Walt was able to repurpose an, a tremendous amount of his material into other things, especially when television started coming in. Because, you know, the living desert, became, you know, they, they carved it up uh, in the early 70s and they created animals at home in the desert, predators of the desert, and what is a desert? Mm-hmm. So you got three separate films out of a feature that, you know, uh, with, with some editing and some new overdub, you know, uh, new voiceover and, and music, you know, you've got a completely new film. The Vanishing Prairie, they did the same thing in the early 60s. And some of these were used for the wonderful worlds of Disney for uh, put on television. You know, the Buffalo, majestic symbol of the plains, came out of Vanishing Prairie. Uh, small Animals of the Plains. Pioneer Trails, Indian Lore, and Bird Life of the Plains, Large Animals that Once Roamed the Plains, mm-hmm. you know, so that to me was, you know, and, and honestly, Al John, I have to say, there's enough nature films within the Disney library that they could create a whole separate you know, subcategory on Disney plus that's just all those nature films and they're all fantastic. Yeah. We, we're know? definitely looking into that because I can't tell you how much our kids love watching the animals every day. We've got Disney nature on every day. Mm. We're doing these, these uh, films and um, you know, there's so much footage I'm sure that's still left to be discovered. And some of them not actually seeing the light of day, like, you know, um, these educational shorts that were done uh, yeah. were never put on the DVD, um, you know, and hopefully one of these days they'll, they'll surface somewhere other than, yeah. you know, I, I guess they might, some of them be on YouTube um, if you really take that deep dive, but man, that's just a treasure of just great stuff. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I, 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 I know somebody's going to say, you didn't mention Perry. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Perry is a true life fantasy. It's not a true life adventure. Oh, yes. Yes. And so Perry uh, was, was, you know, the first true life uh, fantasy, the first and only true life fantasy that they made. And I, you know, I have to say, Roy told me some hair raising stories about the making of Perry. Probably don't want to tell some of those on the air uh, just because some of it was just so, so crazy in how they got some of the shots. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, it's funny. Perry does come up every now and again, but it is, you know, it is a, it is a, you, you were right. I mean, it's a fantasy, but it, people bundle it in occasionally with true life adventures, uh, about the squirrel and, and different things. And I, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to know. Uh, or do I? I don't guess I want to know about that. Yeah. Maybe we should avoid some of it. I have to say, you know, there's, there, there's some wonderful bonus features that were put together for uh, the True Life Adventure DVD collection that was released in uh, 2006. 
right. and uh, you know there there's backstage with Roy Disney at the Animal Kingdom with elephants. And by the way, the uh, uh, there's a backstage with Roy Disney at the Disney Animal Kingdom Cheetah Medical Exam, mm. which uh, I, I believe uh, that may have been the one I was at. So you might get a glimpse of a young Dave uh, in uh, in some of the shots. I was going to say which one is your favorite uh which one was your favorite behind the scenes uh, uh section you know well i you know something the the one that's not on here uh it, to me was um i i think the uh the silverback gorilla uh oh. to me was uh um really like the the massive size of a silverback gorilla mm mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it really is a, uh, um, a menacing creature, mm-hmm. you know, and to see it lying on an exam table and, and its hand was bigger than my head, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, just crazy, you know, that, that was one of the more memorable ones for me. Uh, but there's, there's also a great feature and uh, a great bonus feature on, um, on volume four, Nature's Mysteries, uh, there's a backstage with Roy E. and his eldest son, uh, Roy Patrick, uh, mm-hmm. at the Disney Animal Kingdom uh, Butterflies, the, yes. the butterfly habitat. Yes, yes, definitely. I, I would check that out. Um, uh, uh, when was the last time you spoke to Roy Patrick? Oh, my gosh. Uh, right before the holidays. Oh, good. good. I think I saw him. You know what? I, yeah. I really enjoyed our time when we interviewed you guys uh, years ago for the for the podcast. It was it was years ago, and yeah. um, you know when your your Roy E. book had come out, remembering Roy E. Disney, and y- you guys were just amazing. Just a just a really fun interview. I next time you talk to him, please give him my best. Like, he probably won't remember me, but th- it's really cool that you're able to continue, you know, uh, you know, re- revisiting some of these great stories, telling and sharing the love of, of, uh, that Roy E. Disney had and the times that you had together in such a, a great way. And, um, man, just looking forward to, uh, to delving down more of this rabbit hole. I mean, there's so much more we could definitely talk about in terms of, you know, there's a tremendous amount of material. And, and I have to say um, uh, a friend of mine is actually working on a true life adventures uh, book that goes, uh, that, that does a deep dive behind the scenes with a lot of the filmmakers that were involved with the various films. Um, So I think, uh, I think that's going to be a real uh, one, wonderful um, uh, book to get your hands on if you're interested in the nature films, but you know, all of these, all of these nature films are, are, are just wonderful to watch, I think. Uh, And um, gosh, you know, I, I have my whole set of legacy DVDs here at the house Um, and, you know, just being able to watch, you know, vanishing prairie or living desert, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't see those kinds of nature films uh, that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see a storyline crafted around all of this beautiful photography. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and once again, the template was, was made there with the series. People are still using it today. And I love the story threads, um, 
you know, the A, B, and C stories that, that a lot of these things happen. I mean, it's treated like a real, you know, real subject, uh, like a real film. It's, uh, it's great when you see yeah. all that stuff. It's compelling. And, and you, you know, look, it's continuing with the Disney nature label uh, at the company, you know, and they're doing some, some beautiful contemporary uh, uh, anime, um, uh, you know, animal documentaries, if you will. Um, and after Disney acquired 20th Century Fox, they got National Geographic films. So you've got now Disney Nature and National Geographic films uh, all under the Disney umbrella. And once again, I mean, great. I'm glad it's all there. And, you know, Disney, you know, are great stewards of this type of uh, material. So, uh, I look forward to seeing more of that that stuff coming out in the future. I look forward to hopefully one day, Dave, having a lot of this stuff on Disney Plus. That's what the fans want. I think we deserve to have all this stuff. Of course, it, you know, I want to be able to simply not reach over for my DVDs. I want the convenience. This is how this is how we are. First world problems, Dave. I want to be able to hit the remote and hit all these things and be able to find them at my fingertips. That's what I want. Yeah, you know, absolutely, without question. And what what I I don't get, and I you know again I you know I don't understand the logistics behind you know how they're putting stuff up on on Disney Plus, but you know all of this material is right there. You know you could put this content up on Disney Plus for people to enjoy whenever they want to. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel as though it, it's like, why isn't it up? Mm, I know. Well, you know, well. In, in fact, I have to tell you, I went on to HBO Max uh, last week and I rewatched the Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. with Humphrey Bogart. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided, well, let me see what other Humphrey Bogart films like, you know, they had Casablanca. They had the Maltese Falcon, but that was it. It was like, well, where's Treasure of Sierra Madre? Where is, uh, you know, um, Key Largo? Uh, where are some of those other films? And, you know, you've got them in your vault. Why don't you just put them up and let people watch them? It, 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 it creates buzz within the, the you know, the, the film community of people wanting to see some of these classic films. I think the same at Disney. It's like, you know, you've got all of these true life adventures. Why don't you put them up under the True Life Adventure logo? Absolutely, you know? it should it should be there. I think Some we all category agree on that. under under National Geographic or something. Yeah, you know? might as well, or you know, or Disney Nature for that matter. Just uh, just yeah, make exactly. it make it happen. Uh, they they own all that stuff. Just put it out there for the fans to devour. We absolutely love it, and uh, heaven knows I, I I've watched my share of classic Mickey Mouse. Um, uh, uh, you know, this Mickey Mouse uh, films as well as Mickey Mouse Club, uh, you know, early stuff that's out there. I just love to see that stuff. It just reminds yeah. me of it reminds me of being a kid again. Yeah. And, I, and by the way, I, 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 I as you were talking, I don't know why this popped into my head. Uh-huh. But, you know, when we were filming at the Animal Kingdom, these intros with Roy, uh, you know, we didn't have like a star wagon trailer for him to go into and change. Mm-hmm. You know, he stepped behind, uh, you know, like a sculpture, you know, uh, the ruins of, of something uh, out of out of view of the audience, you know, of the of the guests in the park. And 
you know, changed his shirt, took one shirt off, put another shirt on. And then, you know, they redid the camera setup. And so he had a different shirt on when he did this, you know, this next uh, intro. So it was really kind of, uh, you know, uh, I would say. Um, gorilla filmmaking. Lean and mean. Lean and mean. Lean lean and mean. mean. I, I, I would lean say and mean. it's called gorilla filmmaking. One of one with Dave Bosser. Gorilla filmmaking, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Bosser's behind the scenes. True life adventures. I love it. And uh, the true life adventures and saving money on a budget uh, filming uh, and, and making sure Roy had uh, had enough foliage uh, behind him so that he could change in to a new shirt uh, from unsuspecting eyes of, of guests at the park. I love that. Uh, so so once again, Dave, thank you so much for this uh, and sharing sharing your, your stories about Roy E. and about the uh, the animal kingdom and the true life adventures. We absolutely love it. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Al John. Oh, of course. Thank you for being on Skull Rock Podcast. <laughs> Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your Main Street to the world of Disney. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that's a great interview. What a, what a great interview, Dave. What a great guy just... he was. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, Dave, thank you. Thank you for not eating all the fruits and vegetables and, and the deli platter in the green room. We appreciate that. We will save that for our next guest and the next show. Don't forget, team uh thank you so much for listening here to the very end don't forget to like and subscribe to the show everywhere you get podcasts all the social media facebook twitter instagram we're on it dm us uh be sure to do that as well especially on facebook we love checking that out and also check out all the great emails yes david skullrockpodcast.com Al John at SkullRockPodcast.com, also part of the Source Radio Network. We do have a product, uh, uh, a radio page there where you can click on the archive of shows, which is awesome. So please check that out. And don't forget, too, Dave's got a brand new book in the works, House of the Future. It's on Indiegogo, and you can fund it. You can fund it and pre-order your book, and there's some awesome perks if uh, you decide you want to take it that step further, and if you even want to want to tour with dave you could do that too um there are all kinds of great uh, tiers that you can contribute to the indiegogo fund for the house of future house of the future book so please do that uh dave any other final words well no this was an absolutely fun show uh thanks for having me on again i appreciate it uh, <laughs> as always uh peace and love to all of you out there have a fantastic week and we will see you back here next monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, 
Disney foodie and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.